Hey guys, I know you're going to enjoy this episode with Drew Manning, AKA the fit to fat to fit guy. So Drew is famous for doing an experiment almost a decade ago in which he purposely got fat as a shredded personal trainer to gain empathy for his overweight clients. He was like, I don't understand why this is so hard. Let me learn why it's so hard. And so he, in six months time, gained 60, over 65 pounds, just over, and then lost it all in the next six months and took everybody on a journey with him. So that's how Drew got known in the fitness space. I actually followed Drew way back when fitness influencing became a thing. He's been doing this a long time, but now he helps people out with the ketogenic diet and training as well. Um, he's a longtime motivator on social media platforms. And recently he decided to run a hundred miles just cause. Yeah, just cause not, it wasn't even a race. He just did it. <laughs> um, I'm going to let him tell you the story and why, and we're going to dig into what that was actually like, how he fueled for it, how he trained for it, that whole journey. Um, and then we get into some fit to fat to fit stuff at the end that I know you're going to find fascinating about what really leads to weight gain and what that journey is like emotional coming back out of it. So I'll go ahead and let us get rolling into the episode here. Here is Drew Manning. Okay, guys, I got my very good friend, Drew Manning here. I'm super excited to interview him. This is going to be a really, really interesting interview because not only is Drew's fit to fat to fit journey so cool, and we'll talk about that a little bit later, but he just did a really another extreme journey and that was running a hundred miles in 24 hours. And Drew is not an ultra marathoner. Okay. Drew is a trainer, a nutritionist. Like he, that's not his world. So, um, Drew, can you tell them like where this started? Cause I remember when it very first started, can you tell them a little bit like why you even did this? Yeah. So last year was my first attempt. I attempted this. So a lot of people might not know that. And I failed at it. I got 80 miles done in 24 hours, which is still remarkable for someone that has never run uh, before this. The longest I've ran was a 10K during one of my triathlons. That was the longest <laughs> oh distance gosh. I've ever ran was a 10K. So my brother and I had read this book called uh, Can't Hurt Me by David Goggins. And I recommend everyone go download that on Audible and just listen to it. His story, David Goggins, his story is remarkable and it will motivate you in so many different ways. For us, it motivated us to want to try something that seems impossible to, let's say, 97% of the population. I don't know, maybe more sure. than that. <laughs> for sure. But last year, he challenged me to join him for a 100-mile run. And I was like, dude, I've never even ran a, a half marathon how am I going to be able to run a hundred miles? Like that's impossible. And so anyways, he convinced me to try it out. So we went on this test run for eight hours. We went out there, we did eight hours of running, walking combination. Cause if you do the math, it's only about a 14 and a half minute mile, you know, 14 and a half minute per mile pace for the entire 24 hours. Right. And we're like, Oh, we did eight hours of that. We should be able to do a hundred miles. And so we yeah. trained for the next six weeks. <laughs> we trained for six weeks and we're like, yeah, we got this. And we just kind of did the best we could. And we went out there and we both kind of crashed and we finished at 80 miles in 24 hours and learned a lot from that, that failure, that failure. But this year around after last year, I, I had this itch. I wanted to scratch. I was like, you know what, if I trained for six weeks and did 80 miles, what if I actually trained hardcore and did it for like six months, maybe it's something I could do because the hundred mile thing for people, for like people like you and me that like we're in shape, you know, we do like triathlons or we do marathon, like you've done marathons before. 100 miles is like way out there. It's like, that's for those ultra marathon crazy people. And so anyways, I really wanted to say I could do it. And so I uh, started consulting with friends like Iron Cowboy. Do you know Iron Cowboy? I know who he is. It's amazing. Yeah, 50 Ironmans in 50 days in 50 <laughs> states, right? I kind of was texting him and he was helping me 
come up with some programming for it. And then I met Zach Bitter and had him on my podcast. And he's the world record holder for 100 mile runs on, I think, the track and a treadmill now. Wow. Which is insane. <laughs> yeah. Insane. Yeah. He runs like a, a seven minute pace for 100 miles straight. On a, <laughs> you know, on a treadmill. Insane. Yeah. On a treadmill. <laughs> so boring, like everyone's right? idea of hell right there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so these kinds of people. And then another friend from Utah, Michael McKnight, got a shout out to him because he just did a 100 mile run with no food. Um, I just had wow. him on my podcast cool. and he's just released this week. He did it totally fat adapted with no food, just water in under 19 hours. And so these kinds of people were helping me with tips, tricks, and hacks and things. And uh, trained for seven months. And then uh, we were supposed to do it in April, but coronavirus happened. Travel plans were canceled. We kind of put it off and put it off and put it off. And to be honest with you, I was just so sick of training for this thing that I just wanted it over with. So I texted my brother and said, hey, look, if you can come to Utah, I'm doing it June 11th and 12th. Let's just get it done. You know, let's just do it. I want it to be done. I'm so sick of the, these three-hour runs and four-hour runs. I'm like, it's, it's just exhausting. And I, I lost a lot of muscle mass. And, you know, I don't like being skinny necessarily, but I knew that for what I was training for, I had to kind of change up my body to, you know, be effective at what I was, what my goal was. And so that was kind of the idea behind the 100-mile run, why I was doing it. And then also we, we did it to raise funds and awareness for Operation Underground Railroad, which is a charity that saves children from sex slavery. Tim Ballard, the, the founder, is a good friend of mine. And so I've always found ways to kind of promote them and, and give them attention and awareness. And also hopefully people will donate to them. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. I think probably a few questions are coming to mind. Yeah. Like when you were, what, so when you were training for this, like, what did that look like? What'd your actual training look like? Yeah. So like I said, Iron Cowboy kind of helped me out with that. And and what it looked like leading up to it was my, my first thing I remember him having me do was run a 5k on a treadmill with a 1% incline and, and as fast as I could. Mm-hmm. And I almost died. I was like, I was like at a seven fifteen pace, like just huffing and puffing and almost felt like I was going to throw up. And so, you know, what was that? 21, 22 minutes or something like that. And I was like, man, I have a long ways to go. But since then, you know, the way I structured it just to kind of, uh, you know, uh, just be very like general about it, it was a, a perfect week would be one day of sprint training, right? So sprint intervals, usually on the treadmill because it was during wintertime here in Utah. Mm-hmm. So sprint intervals, you know, like a 15 minute warm up at a 10 minute pace, you know, a nine minute pace was like was my default pace. And then for my sprint, you know, pace was around seven minute pace. Nice. And I would put on incline sprint for 30 seconds, recover at the nine minute pace for two minutes, and then repeat that for about, you know, 20 cycles or so. And then a 15 minute run for at the 10 minute pace. And then the other day was hill training. So that's where I would put the incline or do the stair stepper and same kind of concept, but you know, hill training. And then there was two long runs per week. And the thing that I had to do this year was train back-to-back days, which really helped me train when my legs were tired. And I think I talked to you about this a little bit about, you know, it's one thing to go and train for a marathon and do one long run, like, you know, do your 15 mile run on Saturday and then recover for a couple of days. For this, I had to do, you know, my 10 mile run on a Saturday, and then I would purposely do a 12 or 14 mile run on Sunday to, to train my body and my mind uh, to run when my legs are tired. Yep. And I think that made the biggest difference this year versus last year was last year, I would just do one long run per week. And this year I purposely did back to back days, usually Saturday and Sunday. And I wouldn't do that every week, but I would do that at least twice a month. 
Wow. That makes total sense. And it's actually really cool to hear that because when I got fast finally and qualified for Boston, that is almost exactly how I trained was doing one day of speed intervals, one day of hill intervals. And then I only had one long run a week, but I am such a fan of that way of thinking. Like I would run at the end of leg days, right? Also, because I wanted to make sure that my legs were actually spent before I started running. It makes you such a stronger runner. That's yeah. It's amazing. Also, you didn't get injured. What was your what was your protocol like for recovery? I, I did get injured once, but it wasn't a serious injury. It was just kind of like a annoying pain in my Achilles, mm-hmm. and I, I did have to take about a week off. Um, and that was after I ran my first marathon. I don't know if you saw that during quarantine. I did my first twenty six point two miles yeah. of consecutive running, um, and then after that, for about a week or two, just this kind of pain in my Achilles. I had to take some time off. I went to a chiropractor he injected me with stuff called Tramiel. It's this mm-hmm. German herbal kind of injection. It's different than the cortisone shots that kind of cause tissue damage. This stuff was all natural. Mm-hmm. And that made the biggest difference, um, to be honest with you. As far as my recovery goes, it was pretty basic. I wouldn't say it was no unique biohacking thing or anything yeah. like that. It was you know, the only thing would, that I would consider that category would be cryotherapy, right? And, yeah. the, and the compression boots. So cryotherapy, compression boost, but a lot of foam rolling. Um, there was a couple ice baths in there yeah. um, during the journey. Um, but for me, it was just, I think my body just eventually got used to all the the um, quantity of running that I was doing and eventually built up the the strength in my in my tissue and my uh, ligaments to be able to uh, continue that, that type of training, to be honest with you. So I, I think, yes, I was definitely lucky um, in that sense, but uh, other than that one setback. Didn't you find a lot about the adaptability of the human body? Cause I, I found, I have found from running, it's like, all right, if I ran eight miles last week, then this week, nine miles, like it doesn't get hard until I'm on mile nine. And then the next week it doesn't get hard until I'm on mile 10. Right. Did you learn any lessons about the human body that were kind of interesting to you? Yeah, 100%. Like for, 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 for me, like I said, uh, in the beginning, I'm not a natural runner. I wasn't born gifted with like, uh, Oh, just run a seven minute pace for 10 miles. And like, Oh, mm-hmm. I have a, I have this amazing ability. I didn't know about, <laughs> no, not at all. Like I, I had to slowly build up. And so for me, it was interesting. The double digit numbers, 10 miles, anything above nine was like, you know, uncharted territory for me yeah. to be honest with you. And so it was interesting in the beginning, like I hovered around that seven, eight, nine mile mark uh, for my longer runs the first probably month or two because I was scared to go to 10 and then yeah. 10 to 12. And then uh, it's interesting because 10 to 12 was like an easy run for me. Uh, by the end, it was the 20 mile mark that was like kind of scary, like, oh man, I'm pushing myself. And then uh-huh. I did the 26.2 miles and I was like, damn. I, I just ran my first marathon in quarantine by myself, like no one watching. Right. Like, I, I, why couldn't I have a, like at least run a marathon, like to get a medal <laughs> <Yeah>. or something? <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> yeah, like no one knew about it except for I posted about it on social media once, and that was it. Um, it's kind of cool though, right? Did you feel kind of cool about? It? I would, my ego would like, I would feel kind of cool. I'm like, man, I just freaking ran a marathon, and it wasn't even a race. Like yeah. that's amazing. Like I just chose to do it because yeah. I, I was training for my hundred miler, anyways. I was like, you know what? Why not? like do a marathon and yeah. just see how I do. And I did it and, you know, I didn't break any records, but a nine and a half minute pace over the course of four, four, little over four hours. Like that was awesome for me. Like I felt Amazing. really good about myself. I'm like, damn, <laughs> I, I think I'm gonna do this hundred miler thing. Maybe like that gave me that boost of confidence that I needed. 
Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's cool to see how like, you know, you're, I've, I've seen you train at the gym. Like you generally train for power, right? Like it's a lot of lifting. It's a lot of explosive movement, like get in, get out, but you can adapt your body to endurance running also. You know, I think sometimes we peg ourselves into like, you know, you hear a lot like I'm not a runner or I don't run or I hate running or whatever, but it's like, man, did you find at any point during this journey? Cause you weren't a runner. Did you find at any point in the journey that you like liked running that you enjoyed it? <laughs> That's a really good question. Um, and to be totally honest with you, <laughs> no, <laughs> like you hated I remember, every I remember a friend of like, mine. Yes, true. <laughs> My man. I, yeah. I remember a friend of mine joined me for part of the hundred mile race and he's like an avid runner. He loves it. And he's like, did, did you experience the runner's high? And I'm like, no, not at all. Like I did not experience a runner's high once in my hundred really? mile run. Not once. Not even the 26.2 miles. I will say this though, as you mentioned the ego, it did feed into my ego in that I felt like when I was running, like especially the 26.2, the marathon distance, I was out there and I, I, I here's the thing. And this sounds very egotistical. The fact that I still had muscle and could run a marathon, like I'm like, dude, yeah, I feel pretty awesome about myself that Seriously. I can run a marathon. And I'm like, yeah, I'm not dying. I'm not huffing and puffing like most muscly guys probably would be running anything over like a 5K. And so it felt really cool to adapt my body to look a certain way somewhat, like some, like keep some muscle, but still be able to get the benefits of, of being a runner as well. And that's kind of what my goal was, was I didn't want to lose everything. I did definitely lost some, but you know, I still wanted to have some muscle mass and be able to pull off, you know, running an endurance run that mostly skinny runner type people can do easier. And to say that I did it, like it felt really good. So yeah. I, like, I didn't fall in love with it to the point where I'm like, yeah, I want to do this every day. It sucked. It sucked really bad, to be honest with you. <laughs> the entire time. But yeah. I, okay, hold on. Going back to the muscle thing, because sure. I don't know if, if you remember this or know this about me, but my first Instagram account was actually Lift and Run. And I do remember that. Yeah, Lift and Run. Is, I totally remember you. Yeah. Version of you. I remember that version of you. <laughs> yeah, when I was Lift and Run. And like that, that's why I started an Instagram account at all, is because everybody was telling me who was in the bodybuilding community, like, girl, don't run. You're going to run all your muscles off. And everybody yep. in the running community was telling me not to lift because they were saying, yeah. no, don't lift. You know, I mean, you know, so it's going to slow you down. And all that happened was I got better at both because my yep. cardio conditioning was so high that my weightlifting workouts were freaking killer. I was like, I can outwork any one of you in this room because I just, I can't ever, I don't have to stop. And then my running got better because I was stronger. Right. Yeah. And now like it's, I think it was more about the strength work that I was doing than the muscle size per se, yeah. because you can't have a lot of muscle size and not be strong, yeah. you know, but so I was doing a lot of strength work, plyometrics and things like that. And I bet for you that being strong really protected you from getting injured. I bet that's probably one of the reasons that yeah. you fared so well in that. How about Eric, your brother? Did he, how did this go for him? Yeah. So, so this year, um, like I said, I just kind of threw it at him, um, you know, probably three weeks before June 11th and said, <laughs> okay. Hey, I'm going to do it here in Utah. Cause we tried to do, we tried to make it work in California, but with social distancing and like how yeah. strict California was versus right. Utah, I was like, look, let's just, let's just have it out here in Utah because, um, it's just going to be easier, uh, social distancing wise with everything going on. Right. right? So, because we set up a base camp last year, we had a yeah. vehicle like try and follow us along the, the hundred miles from Huntington Beach to San Diego. This year, we just did a two and a half mile loop like down and back for Art. five miles, and that you know we had like a group of people, and it was just easier to spread out, and we didn't want any attention. Like, hey, you guys aren't social distancing out yeah. here. So 
Um, so he came out to Utah and the altitude definitely played a factor. Plus yeah. it was so weird. It was this weird here in Utah that, that week leading up to, it was like freezing cold, raining, like forties. Um, and then it warmed up to 90 the day of the race. Oh. And then two days later is back in the sixties and seventies. Oh. So the day of the race Brutal. was and sunny and there was no shade. And so he got a heat stroke about mile 30 to 40. And, and at mile, mile 45, he, he threw in the towel and couldn't finish the race, unfortunately. Uh, um, and plus, he had an injury as well that he was kind of nursing the last probably mm-hmm. month or so. And so he was never able to get back up to where he was. So that's what I'm saying is like we yeah. trained for it to happen in April. And yeah. that's uh, when I did my 26.2 miles. I was like, okay, I'm, I'm ready. And actually, I was scared because around June, I'd kind of like relaxed a little bit with my training because I'm like, I don't know if this is going to happen. When is this going to happen? But I still stayed somewhat consistent, but I wasn't as strict because April was like the date we had set and then coronavirus happened and just kind of crushed us a little bit. But anyways, yeah, he wasn't able to finish the race, unfortunately. Okay. Yeah. And Eric's a runner and he's like beast mode. Yeah. I've <laughs> witnessed that yeah. in action. So I'm sure that like, <laughs> it's crazy to be like, oh, you only ran like 45 miles. That's all. <laughs> <I know. laughs> it's amazing. And I'm assuming yeah. you weren't really lifting very much during this time, right? Since it was coronavirus and all of that, or what did yeah. that look like? So in the beginning I was, I was doing two days of heavy lifting, like just slow, heavy lifting, not really doing CrossFit or anything like that. Or actually, no, I did do CrossFit like once or twice a week, Um, but I made sure and lifted and then coronavirus happened and then it was just bodyweight workouts, right? So it was hard to build muscle or or maintain muscle doing bodyweight workouts. Um, And so, yeah, that's why I'm saying like right before it, I probably lost the most muscle mass right before it because there was no access to a gym um, leading up to it. And yeah. I was so just focused on on running at that point. I just kind of took a break from lifting. And that's why now I'm like, people are like, oh, how's your recovery? The re- I've recovered from the 100 miler. I'm just trying to recover from the leg day I do twice a week. Like, yeah, exactly. Like <laughs> yeah, I like the, the message here too is, and, and I talk to my clients about this all the time, is like while you're down, while you're up regulating one thing, you're down regulating something else always. But so the true. beauty in that is that, when you're injured or you can't do something else, that means there's a whole new option for you to explore, right? So in some ways, it's kind of cool that you had this going for you when coronavirus was happening because you can still run, you know? Yeah, yeah you can still <laughs> like, run outside. Yeah. The rest of us were like, I guess I don't <laughs> exercise anymore. I mean, <laughs> I like kind of did the, the workout at home for a while. And then I was like, I'm just going to walk and run like I can. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, uh, nutrition. What about nutrition? What that yeah. look like for you during training and then during the race? So it was it was more of a keto-ish approach. I wasn't 100% strict keto the entire time. I know a lot of people are asking about that. Um, I would cycle in and out of keto during the seven months of training, right? Most of the time I was strict keto, uh, you know, leading up to it. Uh, the week before, the two weeks before, I actually went strict keto just to get as fat adapted as possible. And then the day or a few days before the race, I slowly increased carbs with potatoes and fruits. Um and then from there, and this is just some tricks that I learned from people like Zach Bitter and Michael McKnight that are both keto endurance athletes, you know, ultra endurance athletes mm-hmm. and how they train. So I kind of, uh, you know, picked from each of them and said, okay, this is what I'm going to do for, for, for me. That feels good for me. Cause I honestly felt really good not eating any food. I felt really good yeah. running without any food in my system. Like when I did my marathon, no food, just electrolytes and ketones, exogenous yeah. ketones. And that's yeah. all I took, no food. And I just felt so much better because I remember last year during the race, the food was the thing that I feel like slowed me down. And Mm -hmm. so Michael McKnight, the one that did the 24 hours or hundred mile run with no food, 
I was like, okay, that would be really cool to be able to do that. I don't know if I could do that, but I said, I'm going to go as long as I can without any food during the hundred mile run. So, um, you know, like I said, it was keto ish leading up to the race race day, the day of, um, no breakfast or actually, no, sorry, sorry. The, the, my initial plan was to go the first 50 miles with no food. Right. Mm -hmm. I was like, okay, let me see if I can get through the first 50 miles, just ketones, exogenous ketones and electrolytes. Right. And that was my approach. But here's the problem is that when the heat kicked in that day around probably like 11 and 12, yeah. I remember it was coming up on mile 20 and I came in for like a little break right at, at the end of my loop. And I was getting dizzy and lightheaded mm -hmm. and I knew that like the heat exhaustion was kicking in. And so mm -hmm. luckily we had an ice bath. I jumped in the ice bath and I was like, you know what, I'm going to listen to my body and I'm going to just get some food in me to see if that helps out. And I remember I had this fresh thing of like uh, freshly sliced watermelon and it was freezing cold, like in the refrigerator. I remember I took that out and just like slurped on the juice and just <laughs> ate, like, my pieces and it felt so good of just those yeah. carbohydrates hitting my body in that moment. So I went 20 miles with no food, felt really good. I was ahead of pace. I was, I was really ahead of pace those first 20 miles. And then from there on out every hour or so, cause five miles down and back was around an hour, you know, um, you know, a little bit before a little bit less than an hour in the beginning and then a little bit over an hour. So every hour or so I would take a bite of whatever. And honestly, mm -hmm. like it was anything. Because last year, yeah, I remember getting so sick of potatoes and so sick of like <laughs> these keto bars that we had. I was like, yeah. I don't want any more food. So this year, I brought like a hundred different types of carbs. I had <laughs> peanut butter and honey sandwiches. I had pop tarts. I had gummy bears. I had watermelon, bananas, um, these little goo like chew, yeah. uh, block things, and yeah. whatever it took. Because sometimes I was like, that does not sound good to me. I want right. this, and so I, I had a bunch of different variety this time around, and it was just probably like four or five bites of something yeah the other part is i felt nauseous during the heat exhaustion like from yeah. noon to 5 p.m was the hardest part of the I race bet. because it was so hot and i was just so drained um and so every hour was some type of carbohydrates and then i would take a little swig of this um ketone ester from ketone aid yeah and just a little bit of that and that got me through the next hour and then i would nice. get back and maybe have some peanut m&ms or uh something like that and a little sip of the ketone ester and that's, that's how I fueled for the race. That's awesome. Yeah. It's nice. Cause you're, so what I'm hearing is basically like you did glycogen load a little bit, but then you're also, you've been so keto adapted for so long. Like once that glycogen runs out, you have, you're easily able to tap into your and make ketones for energy. Yeah. So you probably never felt like hitting the wall besides just feeling dehydrated, which is yeah. understandable in that kind of heat. Yeah, that's exactly that's exactly how it was, and that's exactly how I felt. And um, I think that was the way I learned for that from Zach Bitter, and that's what he does. He's like, but he's got it dialed into the exact amount of how many carbs he takes in every forty five minutes. Oh wow! For me, I just kind of went off of how I felt because there were times yeah. where I thought I was going to throw up, like from eating, you know, some food. I was like, right. oh, I, like if I run too fast right now, I feel like I'm going to puke, and that was probably the heat exhaustion. Um, but that's that's kind of what I did. I I, tr I purposely used both carbohydrates and ketones as my fuel source throughout the race. So both yeah. fuel sources really helped me to finish this this time. Yeah, that's awesome. All right. Can we transition real quick into Fitz sure. Fetch Fit just in case people don't know? <laughs> okay. So in, in case you haven't noticed, Drew likes to do extreme things. <laughs> He's not afraid of a challenge. That's for sure. Okay. So um, if you don't know Drew, you probably know Drew. Make sure you check out Drew on um, all social media platforms, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, everywhere as Fit. 
too fat, too fit, right? So the numbers too fit, too fat, too fit. So uh, I'll let, I mean, I'll let you take it because you're pretty good at telling sure. the story. Why, why, is your, why is your name fit to fat to fit? <laughs> yeah, so this happened back in 2011. Uh, I had this crazy idea to gain weight on purpose, to gain a better understanding of what it's like to be overweight because I grew up in a family of 11 brothers and sisters. I played football and wrestling from a very young age. So I've never experienced being overweight my entire life. And I became a personal trainer and you know, got my NASM certification. I was like, all right, now I'm going to go help people lose weight. And here I was, someone who had never been overweight a day in their life, trying to help people who had been overweight every single day of their life. And I'm yeah. like, look, it's so simple. Just follow the meal plans and follow the workouts that I give you. Take these supplements and, and, and why don't you just do it? Like, why do you keep struggling? <laughs> They're like, oh, I cheated and had soda or I uh, you know, went out with some friends or like I was sore and missed the gym. I'm like, I don't understand why you don't just do it. Like, it's so simple. Like, put down the junk food, go to the gym. Like, how hard could it be, right? And um, <laughs> one of my clients who was my brother-in-law at the time said, he said, Drew, you don't understand what it's like to be overweight. Like, for you, it's easy. For me and for a lot of us, it's, it's really, really hard. And I couldn't understand why it was hard. I'm like, well, why is it so hard? I just had a very black-white mentality the way I was raised, probably with sports and the culture I grew up in. Like, you do it or, you know, you either do it or you don't do it, Right. And there's no like gray area in between. It's just you do it or don't, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I felt like I needed to learn something as a trainer. And so I, this idea just kind of popped up in my head. And, and, and then, you know, the next thing I know, I'm, I'm gaining 75 pounds on purpose in six months' time. I documented the whole journey. And it went, it, it, I got very lucky. It went viral organically and uh, went on a bunch of TV shows and wrote a book and, and that kind of stuff. And, and then I lost the weight, luckily, got back to fit. Um, and I learned a lot of valuable lessons along the way, um, especially empathy for those that struggle now. I was definitely wrong in my approach of, of thinking I knew how to help people. I didn't understand the mental and emotional side of transformation. I didn't understand the emotional connection to food and how powerful that is for people until I did this journey and experienced it firsthand. You know, my perspective changed. And when your perspective changes, you're more empathetic towards those who struggle versus thinking, you know, like, hey, look, it's not that hard. Like, you wouldn't go up to a drug addict and tell them like, Hey, what's wrong with you? Stop doing drugs. Like it's stupid. It's dumb. It's bad for you. Like, why do you do it? Right. Mm-hmm. There's a real addiction there. And there are addictions for a lot of people to food. Right. And so for me, it was a very eye opening experience. That's the fit to fit drew in a nutshell. And that's kind of why most people know me in the fitness industry. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So like in case you haven't ever seen this, you probably have, but in case like Drew didn't just go from like, Drew's like, actually Drew, you're like one of the only people I know who has perma six pack. Like you, it never goes away. <laughs> like most of us in the industry were like, oh, I'm kind of lean. I'm kind of not. I'm kind of like, like Drew always has a six pack. So it's like total shredded six pack to 65 pounds up yeah. to shredded six pack again, all within a year. And yeah. what I think is the coolest, I know, I know Drew's journey pretty well. Cause I worked for Drew for a while. So <laughs> um, what I think is like one of the coolest things about, about that journey is that you didn't like supersize me. It, you weren't like, you know, going to these extreme McDonald's all day, like crazy, just going nuts. You just ate like regular Americans yeah. and didn't go to the gym. Like that's what, what I wanted. To, that's what I wanted to focus on. That's what because yeah. we've seen Morgan Spurlock and supersize me. We right. all know fast food is is you know bad for us. But what I wanted to do was focus on the foods that eighty percent of Americans eat and we're addicted to because of the way it's set up. Like these foods are the hyper palatability of these foods is is insane. These companies spend millions of dollars to make them addictive. Yeah. 
So sugary cereal for breakfast, a juice, a glass of juice, um, you know, granola bars for snacks. Uh, lunch was peanut butter sandwiches and, and honey and peanut butter and jelly, you know, and then dinner is just, you know, SpaghettiOs and mac and cheese and Hot Pockets and um, Top Ramen, all these foods that we all grew up with in the 80s, right? Because mm-hmm. it was cheap. And that's how you could, you know, feed your family. And no one knew anything about nutrition back then, really. Right. It's just like, oh, this is low fat you know, and this is, yeah, has sure. a whole grains in it. So it sounds <laughs> right. <healthy. laughs> right. <laughs> and it's cheaper than, you know, you know, grass fed uh, beef and all these like, you know, whole foods that we're supposed to be eating. Um, and that's what I ate for those six months. And it tasted really good. I'm not gonna lie. It did taste good. <laughs> yeah. Can you share that little window of when you were switching back to healthy and you were tempted to like, you were feeling a little bit addicted to those foods. Can you share about that? Yeah, those first two weeks were hell. I didn't realize how hard it was going to be to transition back to eating healthy again. Um, I thought my body would instantly respond and feel good. Those first two weeks of going from 5,000 calories of you know the processed junk food that, that I mentioned to 2,000 calories of real whole food, the food did not taste nearly as good as I remember it. I was starving all the time. I was grumpy. I was moody. I had headaches. I didn't feel good like I thought I would. And um, it was very eye-opening for me because they clicked for me in that moment. This is what my clients have been telling me. When I give them a meal plan and mm-hmm. say, okay, here's your foods you're supposed to eat. You're supposed to be perfect at this. I didn't realize how much your body fights back to want the high that it got from those foods for the past six months. Now imagine someone that's been eating that way for six years or six decades. And now all of a sudden you're like, all right, eat these whole foods and don't cheat and don't eat these, you know, don't drink soda and eat these junk food uh, foods that you've been eating for the past, you know, six years or whatever. Now all of a sudden your body's like, what the hell are you doing to me? It's like being addicted to a drug, no more drug. And then all of a sudden you go through these withdrawal symptoms. That's exactly what I felt like. And it was very eye-opening for me. And that's why I'm more empathetic towards those who do struggle with food addiction, because I only did this for six months. And it was it was a lot harder than I thought it would be as a personal mm-hmm. trainer and a proponent of health. Like mm-hmm. I thought it would be a lot easier than that. And it, it was not. And that's why I feel like the biggest thing that people struggle with is the emotional connection to food more than anything else, right? People can maybe do a workout, you know, they can do P90X, they can go to the gym, they can get their workouts in. The the problem I think most people have is breaking free from that addiction to food. And that's what keeps people from living a healthy lifestyle over time is because what happens, they get stressed, they have an emotional day. And guess what? Like there's memes all over the internet of like, oh, girl, you know, go get some wine, right? Like Mm -hmm. chocolate, like you had a bad day, you deserve this, you deserve that. Or reward yourself with some type of food that, you know, cake or ice cream, or there's so many excuses to have these foods. Eventually you give in because all your friends are doing it and you see people doing it like, oh, it looks like like they're having a good time. Why can't I eat those foods? And it's, it's that emotional connection that I think people give into so many times over and over and over again. It's hard to break that habit. Yeah. And I think, um, one of the things that you hit on there that was so, is so valuable is, those two weeks of hell, right? But it wasn't forever. Like, obviously now, do you feel like your life is hard the way you eat? Do you you feel like it's hard? No, No, not at all. Now it's, it's, yeah, because it becomes second second nature. You know, it just becomes, you know, you've been doing it for so long, you know now what your limits are. Like, oh, maybe I have a little bit of ice cream or maybe some cookies, but yeah, I don't go ham anymore because I'm more in control of my emotions. I have that self-awareness. I think that's the biggest thing to combat emotional eating is self-awareness. Yeah. You can learn how to do it. I mean, we make it sound so easy. Like, oh, just have self-awareness. It's like, <laughs> it takes time to train your body to learn what are the triggers and to take a step back in the moment and observe your thoughts. Like observe what's happening. Like you're triggered. 
you want to go eat the food and you just kind of push pause and you slow down time for a minute and you say, okay, I can feel my body wanting something sweet and like I normally do. And I, I can uh, be the observer of my thoughts instead of attach myself to my thoughts and emotions in this moment and say, you know what, it's not worth it. And it takes time to learn that, but that's the ultimate key, I think, from breaking people free from emotional eating. It's not restricting them from food. It's not keeping the food out of their house. That's one step. Mm-hmm. But eventually, it's it's going to be in front of their face at some point. Right. They're going to have that option to eat the food. Right. It's just having that self-awareness to realizing that um, in that moment, you can choose which path you want to go down. Right. Yeah. Yep. So. Yeah. Always a choice. And then remembering too, that like, it's not always going to be as hard as it is in the beginning. Cause I think people get very deterred because they're like, this sucks. (laughs) I hate this, you know? And the first weekend rolls around, they start on a Monday because that is the day. I think that's why people hate Mondays. (laughs) (laughs) They always start diets that day. Um, And then the weekend rolls around and they're like, this sucks. I can't do it anymore. And then that vicious cycle starts. But it's like, you know, from your experience, it was like, what, a couple weeks, two, three, how, how long do you really feel like it was before you were like back in your groove and feeling more like yourself again? Two weeks was the, uh, the cravings were more manageable. Four weeks was when I was like, okay, it's, it's definitely not as intense as it was in the beginning. So two weeks, you just got to survive that period, you know, definitely have an accountability partner support yeah. system to help you through that period. Two to four weeks. It's like, okay, I think I can do this now. And then four weeks, your body adjusts. It's just like training for the 100 miler. In the beginning, it sucks. It's so hard. You're like, I'm huffing and puffing at three miles in. How am I going to run 100 miles if I can't even get through this? Your body adjusts. It will adjust. It will adapt. Yeah. Yeah. So beautifully said. It's like expect, you know, the expectations. I think it's like, what? I'm, I'm making a healthy <laughs> choice. This is going to be awesome. It's not. It's not going to be awesome. It's going to suck for a second. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. It's worth it, right? And I love what you yeah. said about self-awareness because that when you can get that with your relationship with food, it starts to filtrate into all your other areas of life, like how you show up in your conversations or how you show up at work or all of it. It's just like this little this little moment, that little moment with yourself of like, mm, what am I going to choose here, right? Yeah. Which is freaking beautiful. Um, Drew, thank you so much. I think that's a beautiful way to tie it all together. Where do you want people to, what what are you, what are you up to right now? Where can people join in with you or find you? Yeah. I mean, it's like you said, super consistent fit to fit to fit is my handle on all my social media. Um, I do have something big coming up soon. I'm not sure when this airs. Uh, when this episode airs, but you, you'll have to have me back on Tara because there's going to be something worth talking about in the next little bit. Uh, you know about it, but don't tell anyone, please. <laughs> I'll have you back on. Wait, I'm actually yeah. like, <laughs> I want to be the first. <laughs> no, <laughs> Drew has cool. And you have a, don't you have like a free challenge going on right now or something like that I saw? Yeah. So the month of July decided to free 31 day challenge. It, it incorporates these kinds of things that help you build the self-awareness. So, sorry. Um, Things like meditation, gratitude list, um, we're, we're doing making your bed daily, cold nice. shower daily, and then 10,000 reps of an exercise. And Love it. Um, I did this a couple months ago, 10,000 push-ups in the month of May. Nice. And that was really, really challenging. But like anything, like the 100 miler, I'm like, if I can train my body to do these things, your body adjusts. And this month I chose to do calf raises to see. <laughs> I've tried to grow my calves for 39 years. I've tried for so long. We'll see if this works. If not, that's the thing. I did a post on social media saying, look, I know I have skinny calves, but I freaking love them. They they brought yeah. me over the 100 mile mark in 24 hours. Like, And, and I, I could care less if they're super skinny, but totally. the fact that they can do these amazing things, that's 
like I've gotten to this po- point now where I've finally accepted all of me, whereas before yeah. I used to be so self-conscious about it. Right. Um, but anyways, I'll, I'll try out the 10,000 rep thing and see if that that makes my baby calves grow. <laughs> yeah, I love that post so much. You know, people like it's funny. It's funny because um, sometimes I think people forget that. Yeah, I think maybe they put you on a pedestal because you're this like yeah. ripped fitness guy or whatever. And it's like, Hey, you know what? They're giving you crap about your calves. And you're like, yeah, I used yeah. to be super insecure about that. But <laughs> thanks for bringing I just it ran up. 100 but, miles. <laughs> but guess what I learned? They're freaking awesome. And I love that message so much. Um, also, yeah. Drew is the author of Complete Keto. That's his latest book. And his first book that he was talking about is Fit to Fat to Fit Experience is called Fit to Fat to Fit. So those are both of his books you can check out. Um, I highly recommend Drew's like, I used to follow Drew on Instagram before I met him. He's, you know, you helped me a lot in my journey too. And you've helped, gosh, I can't even tell you. Being able to hang around you was like really cool to see how many people would come up and just say, Hey man, you changed my life. That's the beauty and power of social media. So make sure you guys follow Drew. Yeah. Thank you, Tara. I really appreciate you. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. I appreciate your time. Hey, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Inside Out Health Podcast. I hope this episode served as inspiration and something that you needed to hear in your life. If you have a friend or family member that you think would benefit from this episode, please share it with them. And also please subscribe. I have so many more amazing guests coming. I have just been so gifted and honored to meet so many incredible health professionals in my career, and I cannot wait to share their messages with you guys. So please subscribe. And if you could be so kind as to rate my show, I would really appreciate it. This This podcast is honestly an intuitive call to me to help spread goodness to the world. And so if you guys can help me do that, I would really appreciate it. If you want more info on this guest, pop over to my website, check out my podcast section, and you can get links to everything we talked about in the show um, and find out more about this guest and what, where you can go from here. Make sure you're also following me on Instagram. Uh, That is my most active platform. You can find me at coach Tara Garrison. You can also find me on YouTube, LinkedIn, Twitter, everything is coach Tara Garrison across the board. And then, yeah, if you want to send me a message, guys and let me know other guests or other topics you want to hear on the show please let me know I am here to serve you so I would love to hear from you would love your feedback on the show and if you share any of these episodes please tag me on social media it's coach Tara Garrison 